This is episode 68 of Shades Midweek, a podcast where we talk about theology, culture, and all things Shades. As you may know by now, my name is John Mark DeRoe. I'm the worship and community pastor here at Shades Valley Community Church, and I am joined today by the one and only Jonathan Hafes inside of Four Stream Studio. And that's it. That's all that's here. It's, it's just me ju- and you. It's just us, which I think I think this may be the first ever entire episode yeah. that we've done. Just the two of us. Well, and I actually don't even know if I've done an episode just me and Brad. So I think this is the first ever Shades Midweek where we didn't bring in a guest right. while one of us was out. Which this clearly means this is going to be the best episode ever. I'd, I'd like to think so. I mean, we booted Brad out all the way to Indiana. Right, and he's and he's been gone for two weeks, and he hasn't been missed. Yeah. I just got to say it. I mean, you're not we, missed, Brad. It, Sorry, it's it's like I mean, we haven't even noticed, honestly. Right. You know, the the level of humor has been the same, mm-hmm. if not more. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, we really. I mean, last week's episode was probably, outside of this episode that's about to happen, probably the second best. Yeah, one. it was killer. So it was amazing. So, in other words, what we're saying is the show's peaking today, people. This right. Is it. Right. This it's is all it. downhill after this. So, uh, if you're new to the podcast, <laughs> welcome. We're being completely ridiculous right now if you've never listened before thank you for joining us uh you can email us at midweek at shadesvalley.org if you want to say hello um you can find all of our episodes on spotify and apple podcasts and all that good stuff so we're just uh, glad you're listening to us um we have a quick announcement uh, before we get into oh, yeah. everything. Yeah, I almost forgot. Well, last week we mentioned the fact that we've got a Barons night coming up. We we're, did, uh, yeah. We, at Shades Valley, we're going to go see a Barons baseball game. And that is on Tuesday night, June the 29th, I believe. June 29th. Yeah, and so it's uh, $7 is the group rate we got for general admission uh, tickets, which is like the grass eating, bring a blanket. Yeah, they actually have out. some picnic tables in that area, yeah. too. So if you get there early enough, you you will definitely get a picnic table. You can hang out. It's $1 hot dog night. That's right. Free T-shirt to the first 1,000 fans. Yeah, so my we- like I said last week, my family, I took them to a game, and we, we got the free T-shirts, the $1 hot dogs. We've done that already. We sat out in the in the field area the general admission area and it was awesome so so if you want a ticket uh unfortunately the only way we can do this is like in person so you have to actually right sign up and pay for your ticket here at shades which we're gonna on sunday is when we're gonna start doing that just before after the service there will be a table in the foyer where you can sign up pay for your ticket all of that kind of thing um we have 25 tickets for sure uh, if we sell out of those quickly, I'm sure we can get more. Yeah, but you know, definitely. I kind of, kind of a feeling we're gonna we're gonna sell out. Oh, I think we're gonna. I have really more than do. That. I really do. Yeah. Because I mean, even with just like my family's planning on coming, so that's uh, mine, four tickets yeah, right mine there. Mine too. So that's the other <laughs> twenty. <laughs> so I mean, I think we're definitely gonna sell out, and I'm I'm excited. It'll be a fun night just to hang out uh, with people from Shades. It Hopefully it'll be a beautiful night. Um, you know, just enjoy some baseball, enjoy some community, some some stadium hot dogs, all yeah, that man. good stuff. Yeah. No, I'm excited about it. Well, I hear a rumor that we need to take a trip down to the email the corridor. The email corridor. We sure do. Last week, if you haven't uh, listened to the episode from last week, we read an email from Dale. Dale Anton. Yeah, it was or our, was it two weeks ago that we read it? I don't remember, but it was our first email from someone we didn't know. Yes. Yeah, and so we were trying to get down to the bottom of this. Like, who who is Dale Anton? Do we do we know him? Um, have they ever been to Shades? So they obviously listened to the episode, and they <laughs> uh, and he has responded. Dale has he has, has solved the mystery for us. <laughs> So uh, here we go. Let's read this email here. Which I haven't heard it yet. Right. This is, this is great. Uh, Shades Midweek crew, I am most pleased to be the first to have contacted Shades Midweek through the website. There you go. Yeah. I struggled with who to send it to as Shades Midweek did not have its own dedicated link. Say what? Which <laughs> I do want to address that real quick before I move on. I did go to the website uh, after I saw this email and... Uh, if you go to where it says podcast um, at the towards the top of the website, 
there is a link for Shades Midweek, but if you go, it only shows you like a player. Like it's only going to show you what episodes we've right, uploaded. Right. But what I did underneath that was I added a contact link where you can click it and you can email Midweek directly. Dale, right do you see how so much influence you're exerting improving. here? He's improving. Our everything. website has changed because of you. <laughs> Okay, he said, I'm somewhat surprised I didn't show up in any web searches as I do have a presence online, but then again, being an unknown entity is not just a character trait, but a habit. I have attended two Sunday morning services at Shades. All right, all right. And one Southeastern District meeting. Okay, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. When he said that, it that clicked for me yes. too. When he said that, yes, okay. We have for those who don't know what we're talking about the southeastern district meeting. Uh, we have a, there's like a regional director. Uh, there's re- several regional directors in, uh, involved with the EFCA, and Glenn Schreiber is our regional director of the southeast. So we have like these what what would you say quarterly? Yeah, bi- like, bi- like quarterly. Yeah, like quarterly meetings, meetings of just fellow pastors, uh, EFCA yeah. pastors from our region and such. And so, so Dale, we didn't we didn't do a Google search. We just looked for you on Instagram. On the socials. Yeah, we couldn't find it. We found we found your Instagram, but from it we couldn't uh, couldn't figure out much. Um, right. But but at, I'm remembering now. You were just you're just out of context. Well, it's he, out of context. He goes on to say, "I know and admire Mr. Ed Kaler and his lovely shirts." Oh, Dale just became <laughs> questionable. <laughs> <laughs> I do not live in Birmingham, but in Huntsville, I attend Hope Church in Madison. We yeah. are also an EFCA church. Yeah. Um, and then he asked, "Who is the third EFCA church in Alabama?" Uh, the third EFCA church is pastored by Ron Haygood. Uh, you're putting me on the spot. Um, and I don't know if I'm going to get the name right because the name has changed okay. at least once. Right. But I think it's called – it's got living in there somewhere. It's like the Living Church or the Living Well Church or, 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 or – I don't know. I'm going to look it yeah. up. He goes on to say, congratulations on the pronunciation of my name. I love the show, which I think I saw mentioned on Shade's Facebook page. I listen regularly and binge listened until I caught up. Now I'm up to date since listening to episode 67 just yesterday. I so enjoy the familiarity, humor, and kind but challenging banter between the hosts and guests. Shade's does seem from the outside to be a family-oriented church. Ensure that you understand that by family-oriented, I mean it is a family. The Meet a Member episodes are informative, honest, and open. I really feel that I see y'all enjoying a good cup of your favorite beverages as you chat and share your lives. Keep being a fun, true, and inspiring group of friends that I get to listen to each week. Dale from Huntsville. Dale! Dale from Huntsville. Thank you so much. That was awesome. Man, I... I I'm just gonna make a I'm gonna make a prophetic statement right here. Yeah, I'm gonna say that that Dale is on the podcast at some point. I think <laughs> uh, it's gonna you heard happen. Heard it here, folks. He's only I mean he's in Huntsville. You heard it here. We're gonna make this happen at some point. The fan club, the fan club has reached Huntsville now. <laughs> We're really extending our reach. Now, how you feel about that, Andy Wolf? <laughs> Andy Dale's pastor. <laughs> Uh, uh, he's the pastor at, at Hope Church there. Yeah. He's a good friend. Yeah, we I love Andy. Yeah. We love Andy. So, um, that's, well, that's, that's awesome. So, yeah, that was our email from Dale. Thank you so much. If you'd like to email Shades Midweek, uh, please do so. You can just email us at midweek at shadesvalley.org. You can also go to our website now, and you can just click the link there uh, under where it says Shades Midweek, and you'll be able to contact us. So, The other EFCA church is the Living Church. Okay, the it's, Living Church. It's in Aniston. Aniston. Okay. Yeah. So there you go. All right. Well, awesome. Well, how about we do an album of the week? James album of the week. Well, I bet you thought you were going to hear JM talking right here, but you're not. Because last week I stole Brad's segment. So this week I thought, why not? Even though he's here, I'll steal JM's segment. So that's right. I'm taking over JM's album of the week. Yes. And uh, man, I'm, I'm taking a risky. I'm making a risky move here. All right, what you got? So, well, it's only risky because I need to warn all uh, all the parents out there. I am about to recommend or about to talk about an explicit album. Oh, here we go. <laughs> I've done it before. So, if you don't want your children um, <laughs> to know what I'm about to say, you can stop it now. Um, but I'm sorry. This, oh man. So what happened was I went to physical therapy yesterday, mm-hmm. and. 
uh, I hear this song playing in the background and I hear this voice and I immediately, I'm like, I know that's gotta be this artist. It's, she's one of my faves of all time. Wow. I love her music and I hadn't thought about or listened to her in quite some time. So I've been spinning this record uh, all day today. All right, so she's one of my faves of of all time, and I guarantee you'll uh, you'll recognize right here. I'll just play the first track. Yeah, as a I'm hit really curious. Right here. So yeah. They tried to make me go to rehab. Oh yeah. No, no, no. Sing it, Amy. Yes, I've been black, but when I come back, oh. Yeah, so my, yeah. my pick for album of the week is Back to Black by Amy Winehouse. Yes. Dude, Amy, she's she's one of my faves, you know. Um, I just love, for those who don't know Amy Winehouse, um, she kind of rose to popularity early 2000s. Uh, Back to Black is actually her second album. Uh, it was put out in like 2006 or so, and it won five Grammys at the 50th Grammy uh, Awards, which at that time either set the record or tied the record for most Grammys won in a single night by a female artist. Wow. Um, So she's just got – she has a very distinct voice. It's contra alto, so it's a really low female voice, which I I love, and uh, just mixes like jazz and R&B, has this very like vintage style, even – like she she would wear like the big 1960s like beehive hairdo and all that kind of stuff. And so, I mean, just phenomenal singer, songwriter, very distinct, immediately recognizable voice. The song that was playing – in my PT uh, place was Valerie, okay, uh, which isn't on either of her studio albums. Like, like it was put on like a compilation album later, and it was like a remix, which is why I wasn't familiar with it. But um, tragically, she did have ju- she was just plagued in her personal life with uh, drugs and alcohol, and yeah. she wasn't even able to be that that night. She won those five Grammys. She was in England, where she's from, because the U.S. Uh, wouldn't grant her a visa. Uh, because of all the different issues she was going through there, which she sings about in that song, right. Rehab, right there. Um, and tragically, she did uh, pass away very young in 2011. She was 27. So yeah, the part 27 of that, 27 Club. club yeah. Um, but, uh, and there's there's a really great documentary out there for anybody who wants to watch it, just simply entitled Amy. It's very sad. Um, but yeah, it was on Prime for a while because uh, that's how Ashley and I watched it. We watched it a few years ago. Yeah. Um, it's just really illuminating. Like, uh, I had listened to that album. I'm not, uh, I had not listened to a ton of her music, but I, after I watched that documentary, I was just blown away by how talented she was. And, and the whole story is just incredibly sad and, uh, just kind of her, her demise and, mm-hmm. um, ultimately her passing away because of the substance abuse addictions that she wasn't able to overcome. Yeah. So, but it is a, it is a great documentary though. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good documentary and back to Black Man. It's it's man, a, that's a solid, solid album. album from top to bottom and just yeah, but, but just so you know. <laughs> when I say explicit, I mean explicit. Okay, there's a couple of tracks that are uh a little rough. So, but yeah. There wasn't there was a song I'm I'm now looking through her uh discography. She only put out two studio albums. Her first one was Frank and Frank, then uh, yeah. back to black, and then I think you can find like some live stuff here and there. Um, she may have had like a iTunes Sessions album or something, but I can't remember. There was a song that I used to play. There's there was an artist in town that I had played a few shows with, and he used to cover one of her songs. And now I'm I'm trying to find this. Gosh, what is it? Which song was it? Um, I don't think it was Tears Dry on their own. I can't remember, but she has some really cool stuff. So great recommendation, man. That's awesome. All right. Well, Amy Winehouse. I mean, I took over your segment, so I can't take over Brad's as well. So let's see what happens this week when you press that button. Okay. Uh, 
That's right. Brad is out of town, so I'm going to take over this segment for this week. Yeah, you are. Contrary to popular belief and stereotyping, uh, those that come from a charismatic background do read from time to time, and musicians... (laughs) Do read from time to time. See, I have two things kind of working against me. And, you know, I'm, I grew up charismatic and I'm a musician. So a lot of people just think that, uh, I don't know, that I just worship, I guess, all the time and I don't take any time to read. I'm just learning right now that you know how to read. Well, and I know. And so <laughs> I wanted to break those stereotypes today. I do read on occasion. In all seriousness, I, I feel like the last two years for me, I really have like tried to challenge myself um, personally, just to read a lot more in my in my spare time and even some here at work. So I had this book that I actually got in the mail yesterday that I'm really excited about. Um, I have only read the first chapter in the introduction, but I'm really excited about digging into this book and I wanted to share it all with you. It is called Reading the Times, A Literary and Theological Inquiry into the News written by Jeffrey Bilbro. I don't know much about Jeffrey. Um, He has a PhD from Baylor University. He's the editor-in-chief of Front Porch Republic, which I've never read. I don't don't know if you've heard of that before, Jonathan. I I haven't heard of any of this before. I haven't heard of the book or or him. Um, He's written written some other books before, but I I saw this. I actually got this pre-ordered earlier this year. Um, I found it through InterVarsity Press. Um, they published it. Um, so I'm just going to read from, uh, well, from the back here. I'm just going to share with you a little bit about what this is about here. So uh, whenever we reach for our phones or scan a newspaper to get caught up, we are being not merely informed, but also formed. News consumption can shape our sense of belonging, how we judge the value of our lives, and even how our brains function. Christians mustn't let the news replace prayer, but neither should we simply discard the daily feed. We need a better understanding of what the news is for and how to read it well. Jeffrey Bilbro invites readers to take a step back and gain some theological and historical perspective on the nature and very purpose of the news. In reading the Times, he reflects on how we pay attention how we discern the nature of time and history, and how we form communities through what we read and discuss. Drawing on writers from Thoreau and Dante to Merton and Barry, along with activist journalists such as Frederick Douglass and Dorothy Day, Bilbro offers an alternative vision of the rhythms of life, one in which we understand our times in light of what is timeless. Throughout, he suggests practices to counteract commonalities tied to media consumption in order to cultivate healthier ways of reading and being. So, dude, that sounds really interesting. Yeah, yeah. And like, it sounds like one of those books where even if you didn't agree with like all of his conclusions, it would at least challenge you and like push you to think on yeah. some of these things. A hundred percent. The introduction is called reading the news in order to love our neighbors. Mm. Um, he walks through that a little bit. Um, Does and- anybody approach reading the news <laughs> with that lens? Um, yeah, yeah. I, I looked it up really quick while you were talking yeah. right there on Amazon and the very first endorsements from somebody I really respect, which is Karen Swallow yeah. Pryor. Yeah, hundred um, percent. And listen to what, what she says right here. She says, uh, there may not be any greater need in this moment for both the church and the larger culture than a practical theology of the news. Reading the Times is a book that addresses a discipleship crisis of our day, which is interesting because we've talked about that a lot, about how the news is serving as a disciple, right? Yes. So it's a book that addresses a discipleship crisis of our day. It may be a generation too late, but it's not a moment too soon. I love that. Isn't that great? I love that. Isn't that great? So, yeah, man, I'm intrigued now. Yeah, Yeah, so I just started. Amazon wish list. Yeah, add it to your wish list, man. Um, Like I said, I'm only a chapter in. I'm really digging it so far. Um, The first chapter, he kind of goes back to, uh, the first chapter, he focuses on some writings of Thoreau, and he's basically talking about uh, what Thoreau was saying kind of back in the 19th century, kind of when they, uh, I guess, when technology was advancing in terms of like how things were printed and, uh, you know, how news was now getting passed to everyone in the country and sort of uh, just the way that we were communicating and, and all of that stuff. So it's just really interesting. I've, I've really enjoyed it so far. So I recommend it. Reading the Times. Check it out. That's the book. Nice. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, well cool. see, see, Brad, see. 
We did it. Did it. We did it. Without you here. Uh, well, today, man, um, actually, I, I thought we might do something different for the first time. This is an yep. idea I've been batting around for a little bit. Um, so we have a couple of recurring episodes that we do, like Meet a Member, or we do The Shade Shelf, where we'll spend a whole episode on a book, or what do we call it? We call it Shade Cinema, I think, where we do a whole movie thing. Yeah. Um, so I thought we'd do one called Pastor Facts, where I just drop some facts on you about what it's like being a pastor. <laughs> that, no, that's not what it is. Um, facts, not F-A-C-T-S, but facts as in an abbreviation for F-A-Q. And not F-A-X. Right, 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 not right. facts. And not a fax machine. We're not faxing anything No, to no, we're not faxing anything. Um, no, F-A-Qs. Uh, so frequently asked questions. So as a pastor, um, there's a lot of things that you get asked uh, over and over again, very common questions. You know? Sure. You can almost say questions that are asked frequently. Uh-huh. Um, yes. <laughs> and, and so I thought, what if we did an episode just every now and then where we just took one of those? Some of them are more theological. Some of them are really practical. Some of them are, are, are whatever. Uh, but we'll just tackle one of those, and then, you know, that way when people ask them in the future, I don't have to be pastoral and actually walk them through it. I can just say, go listen to this episode that I recorded. Um, I'm just kidding. You can ask these questions still. Uh, but, yeah, so I thought today for our first one, we'd actually start with something that's, like, super, super practical. Um, but it, believe it or not, I mean, this is something that I do get asked just a ton all the time, and that has to do with Bible shopping. Uh, or yes. picking a Bible. Um, and, and most of the time when people ask that question, what they are specifically talking about uh, is version. Like, what version of Scripture should I choose? What version of Scripture should I read? All that all that kind of stuff. And, and here's the deal. I love talking about this topic, not just because I'm a pastor, but as those who are closest to me know, I may have a little bit of a Bible buying problem. Oh, what what do you mean by that, Jonathan? Why don't you you tell us about that? Well, let's just put it this way. Yeah. It's bad enough that every time I get a new Bible, my wife gets angry. (laughs) (laughs) Normally, something that would be praised in the household, a husband (laughs) buying a Bible, the wife supportive, excited. No, no. Holly gets really mad, man. (laughs) She's like, what do you need another one for? What could it possibly be for? Like, well, you know, you know how like you need different size screwdrivers and stuff. There's different tools for different situations. That's true. That's true. Uh, before we talk about my Bible buying problem too you much, you know, you know what it's like. I'll relate. <laughs> I'll relate it. It's like please, when a musician buys a new guitar, and That's right. and your loved one is like, "Why are you buying another guitar? I thought you had." two or three guitars already, and yeah. really the answer is, well, they're all different from one another. That's right. Uh, they're made with different woods, mm-hmm. uh, different pickups, yeah. different configurations. They're built differently. They sound differently. I mean, that's just a part just yeah. a part of the fun of the yeah, whole man. thing. Yeah, man, I've got reader's editions. I've got right. various versions. I've got leatherback and hardback and study Bibles and wide margin Bibles and dual <laughs> column and single column and full yap and different paper got the, grades. Got thin and, line. Oh, my goodness. I mean, come on. Different anyway. different font sizes. <laughs> people people might not know that this isn't too much of a stretch when we're talking oh, no. about he, the Jonathan is being a hundred percent serious right now. Uh, just go check out Bible Design Blog, and you'll be like, "Oh my goodness, <laughs> something's wrong." It's not my blog. It, it actually gets way more. It gets way more into it than I do. Um, but anyway, before we talk about any of that, uh, let's talk about the main thing, which that people are really asking uh, when they ask this kind of like, "How do you pick a Bible?" Primarily, how do you pick a translation? You know, uh, for, people ask that question for themselves. Uh, a lot of parents ask it for their kids. How do I pick a good translation for my kids? Because there's so many. Like when you go look at a, a bookshelf in a Christian bookstore, are those still a thing? Like, can you still actually go to one? <laughs> I don't, I don't know. know if there um, is. Uh, maybe online, wherever. I mean, there's English Standard Version, New International Version, Holman Christian Standard. Bible, the common English version, the whatever, on and on and on and on, like the list goes. It's ridiculous long. And and first thing I want to say is that's not a bad thing. I mean, it's actually a massive blessing, and it's evidence of just the Lord's kindness to us that we have such ready access uh, to his word. I mean, we often forget that there were 1,500 years worth of Christians 
that didn't have access to individual copies mm. of the Word of God. Um, and I, I say fifteen hundred roughly because you know the the printing press wasn't invented until the fifteen hundred. So really, you got to go a little bit further than that before it even becomes common. Um, but mass production and books being cheaper wasn't a thing till the printing press. So, um, so yeah, just the fact that we have access to it, we have access in our own language. I mean, there are still, um, oh, I forget the exact number. It's over 2000. It may be more than that. Um, there's still thousands of languages that do not have, uh, the entirety of the scriptures, uh, in their mm. native tongue. So, so yeah, it's a massive blessing, but at the same time, obviously recognize it can be overwhelming. So what, what I want to try to do for us today is just give us a grid so uh, you kind of know what you're looking at and what you're looking for, because uh, it's not as simple when someone asks, what version should I buy? It's not as simple as just labeling one, like this is the best one. Just like we were talking about earlier uh, with different guitars having different sounds designed to do different things, uh, different versions have different goals. And so it kind of depends on what you're looking for and what your goal is as to what Bible is going to be best suited for that. So to give you kind of a grid, if you imagine, uh, if we just imagine a spectrum, and on one of the end of the spectrum is what we would call formal translations. And on the other end of the spectrum is what we would call dynamic translations. Here's what I mean by those two extremes. Formal is trying to be as literal as possible with regard to the original languages. Old Testament written in Hebrew, New Testament written in Greek. So the formal translation is saying, okay, how can I stick as close as possible to what the Hebrew says and to what the Greek says and just bring it over as literally as possible, no, no matter if it doesn't make for good English. You know, because I mean, Greek and Hebrew operate differently than English does, um, including things like word order and all of that. So, so if you do a really kind of wooden, literal translation, it can it can sound awkward in English, can be a little bit harder to understand, a little bit harder to read, blocky, so forth and so on. But that's the goal there. I don't want to give you anything except what's actually there in the text. Then, if we move to the other end of the extreme, dynamic translations. Well, their goal is not to give you a word-for-word -word translation, but kind of more thought-for-thought. Thought. In other words, they're trying to be faithful to that original text, uh, but they want you to get the sense of it. Their goal is more for you to hear it the way the original readers would have heard it. Um, so, you know, for the original readers, like it would have been their normal everyday language it wouldn't have it wouldn't have been blocky and difficult to understand and decipher so so those dynamic translations are still trying to be faithful um but they're trying to smooth it out make it good english easy easily understandable english um so to put like some actual versions on that scale for you all the way at the very end of the formal translation the most literal word-for-word -word English translation that I know of is the New American Standard Bible, mm. the NASB. And some people may be surprised that I'm not saying the KJV. That's a whole nother story. We can get into it another time. But the KJV is definitely, the King James Version is definitely on that end of the spectrum. Uh, so is the New King James Version. But, but NASB is probably the most formal one that I'm aware of. Um, on the dynamic end of things... Uh, probably an easy example that people are familiar with maybe would be the New Living Translation, the NLT. That's one of the most popular um, as far as like on that far end of the dynamic range. Um, and the NLT reads beautifully. Hmm. Like if you pick that up and read it, you're just like, wow, this is, you know, very easily understandable, all, all of that. I mean, they're accomplishing their goal very well. And then if we were going to pick something right in the middle, like, who's trying to, to straddle the fence here with being accurate and readable? We would go with what is probably the most popular version in English. At least it was when I was, like, coming up and through youth group. And that's the NIV, the New yeah. International Version, which, uh, which is a pretty solid translation. But it's trying to straddle that fence. Right. You know, so wants to be readable. Uh, wants to be accurate. But so so that kind of gives you an idea of what falls where. And every other translation is kind of somewhere on that grid. So, for instance, uh, I preach out of the ESV, 
mm-hmm. English Standard Version. It's similar to the NIV in its goals, trying to straddle that fence, but it probably takes one to two steps towards the formal side of things. It goes a little bit more in that direction. Um, and, and the reason I choose that for preaching and teaching uh, is because I, I, I'm going to base and root uh, a lot of my points, uh, the, the theology that we're trying to explain, uh, it's all going to be rooted and grounded in the text. And so it becomes incredibly important to me that you're able, that the listener is able to see where I'm getting what I'm saying from and have the confidence that it's actually there in the text. So formal translations, I tend to recommend uh, for study. Like if, you're, if you're trying to get into deep study, you need a formal translation. Or if you're teaching, uh, you need a more formal translation or things like that. Because the problem with a dynamic translation is because it's kind of filling in the gaps, if you will, and smoothing things out. And I, I've what I'm about to describe, I've, I've watched it happen. I've seen it happen. Um, if you teach for like a Bible study out of that, you could end up making some of the stuff you're saying or some of the points you're trying to drive home, you could end up rooting that or basing that on stuff that's not even actually there. Right. Um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's verbiage that's been added to try and help bring understanding. Sure. Um, and, and that's not always going to result in somebody saying something awful, uh, or heretical, but it can, um, (laughs) it, it can go, go in a bad direction. So, um, so yeah, so for teaching study, definitely on the more formal end of things. Um, now just for reading, if you just want to sit down and read, um, then some of these more dynamic translations can be great. Um, or sometimes they're really great for introducing young readers um, or people that uh, maybe don't uh, read as much or, or have not introducing people to things. But what I encourage people to do is to always own a formal translation uh, because that way as you're reading in your NLT or, or whatever it is, uh, if you have a question about something or you're thinking about um, uh teaching on something that you're reading, you can compare it with that more formal translation and really kind of get a sense, even without knowing Greek or Hebrew, like you can get a real sense of, yeah. of the decisions that that uh, dynamic translation is making for you. That's the bi- the biggest difference uh, between a, uh, a dynamic and a formal is in a dynamic translation, a lot of decisions are being made for you about what something means. Mm-hmm. Whereas like in the original language, maybe, oh, this could be taken one or two ways. It could go a couple of different ways. Sure. And and your more formal translations leave that open, that tension open, and so you've got to do your hard study and think through it and come to your conclusion. Uh, the dynamic translations tend to remove that ambiguity and make the decision for you when you may have come to a completely different conclusion based upon reading the actual words of the text. So, so that's some of the dynamics that are going on there in the different kinds of translations and why you might choose uh, one translation or, or another. Uh, there is one other category uh, to talk about that I get asked about a lot, mm-hmm. and that's the category of a paraphrase. Okay. I put it in a completely different category because a paraphrase is not a translation. <laughs> And it's very important to know that. It's very important to know that. So the most popular paraphrase out there uh, on the market is The Message Yep. Um, by Eugene Peterson. And, uh, and that should be your clue, number one, that it's not in the same category as these other translations we've talked about. Every translation I've talked about so far, I've not followed that with by so-and-so. <laughs> um, <laughs> There's no single author. These are done by translation teams, uh, by scholars who have to argue and debate with one another and and have to, like, try and come to a consensus. Um, Paraphrases, especially to talk specifically about the message. Uh, This was done by Eugene Peterson, so by an individual. And so you're getting Eugene Peterson's take uh, on scripture and uh and the difference between even more like a dynamic translation versus uh a paraphrase is a dynamic translation is still tying itself to the text yeah 
Like it, even though it's trying to smooth it out a little bit, it's still very tied to it. Whereas a paraphrase typically amplifies the text. In other words, they really add to it because a paraphrase often goes beyond what a translation would do into the realm of explaining. Mm-hmm. So a paraphrase is actually trying to almost explain that it almost works more as a commentary sure. than it does yeah. as like the Bible. Um, and so, so for instance, I mean, if you just pick up a copy of the message and sit down with it next to your normal translation, it's way longer. Oh yeah. It's wild. Yeah. It yeah. is way longer. Um, and yeah. that's because he's, he's not just trying to give you the sense of it. Even he's trying to help you understand it, explain it a little bit. More. Right. All of that. And again, I'm not saying don't ever touch this. Don't ever right. blah, blah, blah. None, none of that. Um, I have benefited from the message in my own life. But but use it for what it, know what it is and use it for what it is. Yeah. Um, so it's not the Bible. Right. You know, don't think of it as your Bible. Think of it as a commentary uh, yeah. to assist you and help you as you study uh, the Bible. But I, I would never pull down one of my commentaries off the shelf and treat it like it's the Bible. Sure. Yeah, yeah. It's illuminating the text yes. in a way. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um and so so I encourage people to to treat the the message uh the same. Yeah, because you're basically saying that uh I mean, the whole reason that you're going into all these differences is to say like it's great to have a ba- like you need to have a balance and you need to have a context of what all these translations are doing and what purpose they could serve and how you could teach with certain ones, how you could study with certain translations. So all of that is important within within the context. And you know, you can't just say, well, New King James and the message are the same thing. It's like, well, no, they're different. Right. Well, I mean, it's kind of to, to go back to your music analogy, you know, are you going to use an acoustic guitar to play a heavy metal song. Yeah, for sure. You know, um, that's not what it was designed for. That's not what it's best used for. And so the same thing, like, are you going to use the message for deep word study? Well, it's not designed for that. Eugene Peterson didn't mean it for that. Right. You know, so you got to use something for what it was meant for and for what it was designed for. Yep. Um, And so, so yeah, just being able to know uh, where those versions fall, being able to know what your need is. So if you are looking for a good Bible to use for study and for teaching, I often recommend to people, I'm like, go with an NASB, go with an ESV, go with something that's more formal. If you're looking for just a good sit down, uh, read on an average day, an NIV is great. If you're looking for something that you can read to your your young children that's going to engage them. I don't think there's anything wrong with reading them what we've talked about already, but uh, maybe that's a good place for NLT or something like that. Mm -hmm. So, um, so yeah, so they just all have their different, uh, kind of places and, and reasons for, for usage. I, in my own life, just let everybody know, um, I primarily use, uh, the ESV just because that's what I preach and teach out of. But I also get to cheat a little bit in the fact that because I did get to do seminary, like I, I do get to go back to like the Greek and Hebrew a lot. Right. Um, so I don't I, I don't feel the need to have like an NASB right in front of me or, or, or something like that. But I do sit down and read other translations sometimes uh, devotionally and and so forth. Um, there's one other important thing that I think we need to talk about. Uh, now that we're done with kind of the versions conversation. Okay. And that's this. On the Bible market, <laughs> there are lots of what we would call different kinds of Bibles. I've got a, I've got a list <laughs> written down here. Uh-huh. I've got opinions. Uh-huh. I'm probably we're gonna get really controversial right well, here on midweek. This may be the most controversial. We're gonna we're gonna get emails because people are gonna own or have given these Bibles as gifts. And they're not going to be happy with me at all. Um, So I'm going to give you my opinion on these Bibles. Um, So generally, generally, I'm not a fan of anything being added to a Bible, Mm. like within its contents. Like by that, I mean like 
extra notes, devotional pieces, helps, blah, 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 blah. Like within my Bible, usually I want just the text because people get a little confused sometimes. And if it's in that cover, you know, it's 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 the word of God. And, and, and I'm like, not when people are adding study notes and helps and those kinds of things. So the one exception that I make and I concede on usually uh, is a good study Bible. Uh, so I recommend the ESV study Bible. Uh, the NIV has a really great study Bible out there. Um, there are a couple of different kinds. Um, I typically stick to what I call like the more generic study Bibles. I'm not a big fan of the ones that get really specific, like the archaeological study Bible or the whatever, you know, that, those kinds of things. The apologetic study Bible, the what about for teens and children? Well, you know, we'll, I know, we'll get there. Okay, all right. We'll I didn't know there. if you were going to touch on that or not. So, okay. We'll, we'll get Great. There. We'll get there. Great. Um, but, so, but a study Bible generally just has like an introduction before each biblical book, and then it's got notes down at the bottom of the page usually that are commenting sure. on, on the verses. And I tell people, I'm like, that's a great place to start, you know, for kind of deepening your Bible study and such. But... Uh, just don't get confused with what's authoritative. A lot of times people pay more attention to the notes than they do to the text. And I'm like, that's problematic. And and that's generally why I like to keep my things separate. I like to keep my Bible over here and then extra sources I'm going to use or other books I'm going to buy. But a study Bible, I tell you, it's economical. It's all of those things. I understand it. I get it. So it's okay. Then we move into the realm of what are called devotional Bibles. Devotional Bibles uh, typically aren't offering you study notes. They're offering you more kind of like thoughts for the day, inspirational thing or whatever. I tend to not like these for two reasons. Uh, one, the first reason I stated. <laughs> Just get a devotional book. Just get something else. Sure. Um, but two, uh, most devotions are not aimed at accuracy. They're aimed at inspiration. And there are a host of scriptures and sections of scripture that are not trying to be inspirational. Sure. Um, you know, and so it just, it'll skew. It'll skew the experience you're meant to have as you go through the host of scripture. Um, and it also tends to center scripture around you when scripture is actually centered around God. Um, so I'm not a huge fan of those. My third category is what you were asking about is age specific yes. Bibles. Um, so uh, this is a tricky one. Um, age specific Bibles. Uh, I have before given my children, uh, children's Bible, and, and by that I'm excluding from this so so there are children's Bibles that are like children's storybook Bibles yeah. that you do like family I love devotions those. Those out are of great. and all that stuff yeah, yeah. yeah that's not what I'm talking about when I say kids Bibles I mean it's an actual Bible like right. it's got Genesis to Revelation in it uh, but it, it often includes like you know uh, full color pictures and maybe some like activity pages or like hey did you notice this kind of thing or whatever like graphics yada yada all of those things I have used those before with my kids. Uh, there was one specific that I used for a while called the Seek and Find Bible. Um, it, they're not bad. The only problem I've noticed, and I noticed it as my kids got a little bit older, is it makes them more, it's more challenging for them to become familiar with just their Bible, the layout of their Bible. As we began to memorize the books of the Bible sure. and talking about like how to find stuff and all of that, like often your full color pages are a lot thicker, so it doesn't quite flip as easy. And then you have whole sections that are like, you know, I can't find Matthew seven. I found Matthew six, but then I got three pages of something. Like, I don't know, you know, like it just, it just complicates it and it clutters it up a little bit. Um, so again, I'm not, I'm not, I sound so, anal over here <laughs> i'm not trying to be that way it's fine it's fine but it's it's not my fave and especially like by the time you get a teenager i'm like teenager can handle a a, a bible just a, right. a normal if you want to get them something get them a study bible but make sure they know yeah. what it is and how to use it and all of that and so most teen bibles that are aimed at teens are cheesy anyway yeah and teens I've roll their, yeah teens roll their eyes at them You're like what yeah this is lame is this you know it's like, you know, just, just give them a real right. legit thing 
point out you know a couple of passages that'll blow their minds with right. that the fact that that's even in the Bible. Right. You know, show them that they're holding like the the equivalent of an R-rated film, <laughs> and, and they'll be like, "Whoa!" Um, uh, yeah, you thought Game of Thrones was bad. <laughs> <laughs> you ain't seen nothing. Just read Genesis. This junk is messed up, man. Um, it is. It's crazy, and it blows kids' mind when they, minds when they find out what's in the. Tell them to go read. Ju- no, you probably don't want your teenager reading Judges just yet. But yeah, there's some. There's some crazy stuff, um, <laughs> but good, good, and it get, it gets them interested yeah. more than like you know, kind of like cheesy graphics. Um, so yeah, uh, there's gender specific Bibles. I don't even want to talk about. That's kind of weird. I don't even want to talk about it. Like it, the Bible, the whole of the Bible is all God's word for all God's people. And it doesn't have to be put through a specific lens for you to be able to get something out of it or to understand it. Or Again, all of these things are kind of catering to the idea that the Bible doesn't apply to you unless you see it through this very specific lens. Like, and this is why often I'll talk to people about our goal in, in reading scripture, studying scripture is not to apply the Bible to our lives. Our goal is to apply our lives to the Bible. And what I mean by that is if the goal is to apply the Bible to my life, that means I start with my life. And I go, okay, what am I dealing with? What am I facing? Okay, what can I find in this little treasure box over here called the Bible that's applicable to that? Well, if that's how you approach the whole thing, then the overwhelming majority of Scripture is not applicable, not relevant to you at all. What in the world does Leviticus have to do with raising kids? Right. You know, if you're a parent or what or, you know, what does Exodus have to do with singleness or what, you know, like if you're starting with your life and asking how this is relevant, like you're just going to ignore tons of this thing. But to say, how does my life apply to the Bible means I start with the Bible and I start with the assumption that all of this is revelation about God and all of it calls me in some way to conform what I think, feel, believe all of that to, to who God is. So all of a sudden Leviticus is very important. It's about the holiness of God. It's about the worship of God. It's about sacrifice and atonement. And what is what I, my life has got to come into conformity with what I see. I mean, God says, be holy as I am holy. I, I gotta know what in the world holiness is now. Um, so, so yeah, it's just, it's a, it's a different approach. Um, and then there's the hobby specific Bible. Oh, yeah, mm, hobby specific. Hobby specific. Well, I mean, I, you could say I said hobby specific because you'll find stuff like the outdoorsman, the Bible. carpenter's Bible. Yeah, the I don't know. Yeah, for yeah, you'll find like the deer hunter's Bible, <laughs> um, the fly fisherman's Decked Bible. Decked out in camo. It, it, they are. <laughs> and pick them up at your Bass Pro Shop. And I, if I want to assume the best, if I want to assume the best of what's happening with these Bibles, then I assume. It's an effort to get people to be interested and to start engaging scripture, maybe. So you've got that that outdoorsman in your life who won't read the Bible, but if you give him a camo one and right. it's got deer hunting devotionals, maybe he will. Okay, that's yeah. that's me trying to assume the best. What I actually think is, I think it's just a marketing ploy. It's just yeah. they're just selling stuff. Yeah. Um. But and 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 I said hobby, but really this goes in a whole host of directions, and some that are way more problematic than others. Um, I mean, you got the problem anytime you're dealing with this kind of thing. Um, you, you got the problem again of them like twisting scripture to fit certain things thematically. So all of a sudden, you know, for the outdoorsman, when you're reading the Psalms, as the deer pants for the water, yeah. so my, you know, and that's right. I, I don't know, it goes off on some deer hunting thing or whatever. Um, so you got like this kind of twisted angle at which you're coming at scripture uh, anyway. But then you have things that are even more problematic. So I was I was shown recently. Mm-hmm. Um, what, we looked it up. What's the official title of this thing? I'm really about to get controversial. Right. We're we're, we're going to get really controversial here. Uh, I actually found this on a Twitter post one day. This is called the God Bless the USA Bible. Uh, you can go to GodBlessTheUSABible.com. Uh, no, the, no, the re- don't, don't. <laughs> The reason I found it is because uh, apparently originally they were either trying to get Zondervan 
uh, to publish this thing. I'm not sure what the deal was with that, but apparently Zondervan uh, received so much backlash that they are no longer no longer publishing it. But let me just tell you a little bit about this Bible, and I don't mean to depress you, Jonathan. I know these things I know these things hit hard for you, but but uh, we got we need to be aware of what's going on. Introducing the limited edition God Bless the USA Bible inspired by Lee Greenwood's hit song and the most recognized patriotic anthem in America, God Bless the USA. Uh, so here we go. The ultimate American Bible, the Bible and the founding. Can, 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 I, can I just say, can I just say, like, you should not be able to throw any country's name in yeah. front of Bible. Yeah, it's not good. The American Bible, the the Nigerian Bible, right. the Ecuadorian Bible, the Peruvian Bible, right. the like no no not good. No. The ultimate American Bible, the Bible and the founding documents of America now together in one very unique Bible. So that's right. You you if in case you missed that, it's got the Pledge of Allegiance, the U.S. Constitution, the Declaration of Independence, and the Bill of Rights, uh, and also features a copy of a handwritten chorus to God Bless the USA by Lee Greenwood. Okay, 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 okay. So we all need to learn the word syncretism right now. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> go, go on. <laughs> oh, my word. So syncretism, just so people know. Uh, right, let me give you an example. Um, when... Uh, when Greece was Christianized, um, and you know uh, the the kind of classic pagan mythology was falling out of favor, uh, the only temples that still stand over there, so like the Parthenon that stands on the Acropolis, you know the the these temples in, in, in Olympia, and are the temples that were converted into churches. And so I'll just take the Parthenon. The Parthenon uh, is uh, literally it means the, the the room of the Virgin. It's it's a temple to Athena, uh, the goddess of Athens, the patron patroness, goddess of Athens, goddess, uh, and she's a perpetual virgin and yada yada yada. So you can see how very easy you could change that to a church of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Mm. Um, syncretism is when you start taking uh, elements from secular elements, from a culture, from paganism, from whatever, and you just meld it together right. with your religion to the point you can no longer separate them. They're one and the same. They're married. They go together. Um, and Christianity absolutely refuses to do that with any uh, thing that belongs to any country, any nation, any national. We've talked about this before on yep. midweek that uh, anything that uh, does not, uh, that the Christianity itself is uh, universal in the sense that it can spread anywhere on the face of this planet and be immediately received uh, as, as the gospel, as the good news without it shifting and changing a culture to become like, America or Europe or Greece or, or whatever. Like Christianity doesn't belong to any one given culture. And so something like that, like I know we're joking and all of that, but something right. like that really bothers me deeply. And, and, I, and I'm sorry if, if people out there like um, have one of these or, or whatever, but <laughs> yeah, not good. Um, and, and please hear me Excuse on this. Me. And I, I feel like I say this like ad nauseum trying to caveat. I'm not hating on America or whatever you believe about right. America's founding or founding sure. documents or founders or any. I'm not hating on any of that. Yeah, read those. Uh, it's yeah, great. Read yeah, them. Yeah. yeah. I, I, listen, I, I live here for a yeah. reason. Um, yeah, 100%. You know, uh, uh, proud to be American. Um, you know, uh, all the things. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, it, it, that these two things blending together. Uh, the founding documents have no place inside the cover of my Bible. Yeah, yeah. It just it just it just does no man made document 
has a place inside the cover of my Bible. But, you know, the the justification that will try and get made is that, well, you know, America was founded on Christian principles and this, that, the other. And any honest look at our history is just more complex than that. Right. It's not that Christianity didn't have a role. Sure. Uh, for sure. But it's just it's just history's complex, history's messy, history's all of those things. But I don't care if Christianity played a, ma- a major role in the founding of America. Christianity played a massive role in the Roman Empire. It was the stinking Holy Roman Empire. Yeah. It played a larger, more authoritative role than it ever has in America. And I don't want any <laughs> of the Roman Empire's governmental documents inside of my Bible. Yeah. No. <laughs> you know? Um, and and so, yeah. i tell you a weird one for me, Jonathan, is the times that I've been out on the road and I've been playing music. Sometimes you go to these churches and you you do a worship night or you play a concert or whatever it is. Then you meet some people afterwards. They want to buy merch. I tell you, some of the weirdest requests that I've gotten has always been, will you sign my Bible? To which I always don't. Uh, sure. And I'm like, right, let me. Ju- can I just sign something else? I don't really want it. It just always makes me feel weird. Yeah, it's, it, it's a weird I, thing. I read something by someone about this not that long ago. Um, I'm going to have to look it back up. I don't remember what they said. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, that is... That that is a thing. It yeah. is a thing that people will ask musicians, Christian musicians, right. or pastors, or traveling speakers, or what have not. And yeah, that has to do with like Christian celebrity culture too. And it's <laughs> yeah, you know, it's not a baseball. Um, right. <laughs> exactly. Um, but uh, and and I'll be the first to say that like as a kid, like I was a part of that culture. I have a Bible that's sure. signed by multiple sure artists and preachers and and that kind of thing. But. Uh, but yeah, I think it, it, it definitely makes me un, uncomfortable too. And that's not because it's like there's actually something about this leather and this paper and this ink that all of a sudden right. makes this right. object, right. this this holy sacred thing that, you know, or, or whatever. But but it, it has more to do with what what I feel like I'm saying about myself. Yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, in, in doing that or, yeah, that's... It's an interesting, yep. interesting discussion. But to sum it all up, <laughs> just get you a Bible. <laughs> just get you a good, good, solid Bible. Make sure it's you know what you're getting it for. That'll help guide you as to what version you should choose. And then the last thing that I will say, because um, we started out joking about my uh, Bible buying habits yeah. and such. Um, there is a website that I'll tell everybody about. It's called evangelicalbible.com. Org, I believe. Okay. Evangelicalbible.org. And if you go there, you're going your jaws can hit the floor at the price tags on these Bibles. Um, but if somebody if somebody wants a high quality Bible that is going to last them their entire life, it's gonna be like an heirloom that they can pass down in their family, that kind of stuff. That is the place I send them to. Because in all honesty, your average Bible out there that costs you twenty to forty bucks is not built to last it's not a lot of them are glued not sewn a lot of them have just tissue thin paper like they're they're, they're, and this is why people who actually use their bible a lot like it falls apart right um which you can't there are tons of service if you have a bible that's falling apart that you absolutely love you can get them rebound just google it uh rebinding bibles there's there's some really great companies out there that'll rebind it in whatever you want leather or Mm. goat skin what whatever but these high quality Bibles, there are they're Schuyler Bibles, there are R.L. Allen Bibles, they sell Cambridge Bibles, uh, they do sell some higher end ones made by Crossway. They've got multiple versions, uh, single column, double column. They do have all the fun stuff I was joking about earlier with like you know full yap, semi yap, all of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but the reason they're so expensive is they are meant to last uh, uh, a lifetime. And so if you want like a really nice high quality Bible, that's that's the best place I know of to get one. You're not going to find Skylers and R.L. Allens and Cambridge Bibles and stuff like that at your average bookstore right. or, or thing like that. So they got to be a licensed dealer to, to sell those. How many Bibles do you think you own, John? <laughs> I mean, I have, there's a couple of questions that I have. There's a few questions. Oh, man. How many do you just all, 
off the top of your head. I, I, might, I might actually be able to tell you the actual number right here because I have an app that I use that my entire library is logged in. Is that sad? No, that's not sad at all. It's good to keep track of what you have. I do that for my records. I do that for my movies. Okay, my rough estimate based on what I'm looking at here, if we include every version, and I'm talking like down to, like don't think that all of these are high-end Bible. Some of them yeah, are paperback they're just, and all yeah. that. I do think it's around 51. Wow. <laughs> How many different translations do you think are within that 51? Oh, goodness. Um, there are there are four main ones. Yep. Um, but then there's just a bunch of other random uh, stuff, too, that I've got. Um, but yeah, and then they all have their, their place and for, for different things. I will say this, I forgot to mention this one type of Bible that I really love that is gaining popularity is what's called a reader's Bible. Yeah. And the one that I have that I love is actually multi-volumed. It's like five volumes. And the reason it's five volumes is because they don't print it on the thin, the reason your Bible's printed on such thin paper is so that it'll all fit in a single book. Well, this is printed on like normal like the same paper in a normal novel, well, you know that once you hit like three, four hundred pages, that sucker's getting really thick. So it's five volumes so that it can be on normal paper. And what a reader's volume does is it removes the chapter breaks and the verse numbers. And it removes like yeah. all the like uh, the, the footnotes and the cross references. So it's just clean. Um, yeah, what was that? There was a real hipster one that was like going around several years ago. Yeah, they, they did had like the GoFundMe a GoFundMe thing. They had a GoFundMe. I cannot remember what that was called. I, I can't remember either. But that um, was kind of their whole thing. They took away the verse yeah, numbers, and yeah. they tried. They were trying to make it as easy to read as possible. Right. Well, and, and in all honesty, the idea is to recreate the reading experience. Right. That you would have had if you were looking at the original document. I mean, you know. You sit down to read Paul's letter to the Galatians. There are no chapters and verse numbers. Right. Um, right. And one of the cool things about reading, it, it's not it's not helpful to use for study because, I mean, we have verse numbers and chapter numbers for reference purpose. Right. Uh, and it's not helpful to use in a group setting, you know. Um, but if you're just going to sit down and read, uh, you really do. I have found I end up reading way more than I normally would because you just kind of cool. you just kind of get lost in the text right. and right. lost in the flow and so yeah that that is a cool type of bible but you can find those out there too um well yeah during this series that we've been doing the psalm series and I've been trying to write a song every week which you know for those of you who like I have I think I've really missed there's like two weeks in which I really had problems finishing or writing the song but uh, most of the other weeks I have songs and uh, one thing that I've been doing just for inspiration is that normally when I know because I know what the passage is going to be so I'm looking at the ESV translation first I read through that a few times and then I'll go to like the NIV which is like pretty similar to the ESV just to see like what differences there are. And then I'll do, you know, look at something like more uh, like a paraphrase. There's a translation called the voice, which is kind of similar to the message. I I just kind of read through that really just for inspiration purposes, but it's fun to like, it's been fun for me these last several weeks to like pull up multiple tabs on my computer on Bible Gateway is what I use a lot of the time, BibleGateway.com. Yeah, fantastic. And I'll resource. pull up all the translations in different tabs, and I'm just like going through each one, looking at the text, like trying to pull inspiration. It's been a lot of fun. So I definitely see like uh, just from doing that, just, you know, uh, the need and <clears> – <throat> What a great thing it is to have multiple Bibles, to have multiple translations for different purposes, for studying, for just reading, for, you know, teaching, small group setting, devotional, whatever it is. Yeah, and and if you do that, if you'll pull up multiple versions and look back and forth comparing them, uh, even with no knowledge of original languages, you'll see where the issues are Yeah, in the original languages because you'll see how different translators make different choices. Yeah. You know, so you'll see like, oh... Uh, this phrase right here could go these two ways, or oh, even this sentence break could be somewhere else, or or whatnot, and you'll be able to compare and kind of uh, do your own work there in thinking through it. And so often, um, for people who wish they could engage original languages, um, but don't have the time or opportunity uh, to be able to do that, that that's what I'll encourage them to do. I'll be like, 
gets you several really good solid versions. You can even get an interlinear, which is where you have multiple versions in the same volume, and they're oh, just wow. they're in columns, and you can just sit there and compare wow. within a, a printed Bible. Yeah, that's cool. Um, so, but but that you have a uh, you can get a similar feel um, doing doing something like that. So. So yeah, so hopefully Bibles. <laughs> all no, of this that, has been great. This has been awesome. All that jumbled mess. Hopefully, well, well, you well you do get this question a lot. I know you do, and so um, now whenever you get the question, I mean, you can obviously answer in person if you want, but then you can always be I'm, like, "Hey, we did we did a whole episode on yeah, this." Yeah, I'm I'm never answering it again. <laughs> I'm just gonna be like, "Listen, I'm I'm I record midweek, so I don't have to pastor." So. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> No, 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 this has no. been really helpful, man. Yeah, Pastor Facts. It's a Pastor thing facts. now. Yeah. Well, write, write in, tell us, uh, I don't know, tell us how many Bibles you have. <laughs> <laughs> or, or your favorite. Is there, anyone, is there anyone out there with more than 50 Bibles? Oh does, it, does anyone own more Bibles than Jonathan? That's what I want to know no, no. right now. Um, I'm embarrassed now. Um, I wonder who the world's largest Bible collector is. Oh, I guarantee I, I, there are people that put me to I'm shame. I'm sure there's people that have thousands. Oh, I'm sure. Collectors. Um, but, uh, but yeah, uh, write in. Tell us what version you use, what version you grew up using. A lot of times people have a version they grew up memorizing out of or, yeah. or kind of what's your favorite um, version. Yeah, we'd love to, to hear any of those thoughts. Or if you have a question, if there's something that we talked about in here that you're like, I'd like some more clarity about that. Shoot it our way. Yeah, yeah. I grew up reading New King James. I don't miss it. <laughs> <laughs> some people no, really, no shame, some, no shame to some, that. If you yeah. enjoy it, that's great. Yeah. That's awesome. For some you. people I'm really glad. love, especially in the poetry sections, like in the Psalms. Sure. a lot of people sure. really like the, yeah. the King James. I yeah. grew up on NASB. Okay, um, and it took me a while to to transition to the ESV. Um, but but yeah, I grew up on the NAS, on the NASB New American Standard. Bible. It did it did freak me out uh, as I got older. Not this church, not Shades Valley, but a previous church that I was at. And sometimes they would reference the Message Bible, and I would just and I had never heard of it before, and I didn't really know what it was. And so whenever they would reference it during a sermon, it was just so vastly different. Than, well, especially like, coming it, from a NKJV. I, I was like, man, what is going on? <laughs> Uh, yeah yeah no for sure well shoot us an email thanks for listening we hope this has been helpful and dale your day's coming man <laughs> this has been another episode of shades midweek we'll see you next time hopefully bradford will be